Hello, welcome to Asbury. My name is Pastor Mike. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as interviews and special devotionals. We hope these messages inspire and support you as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions or want to have further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking out our website at asburymaitland.org. Again, everyone, to weekend worship here at Asbury United Methodist Church. For those of you I haven't had the honor of meeting, uh, my name is Chris, and I serve here with Pastor Mike as one of the pastors. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today. We pray that you've had a great morning so far, and I, of course, want to say Happy Mother's Day to all of you moms, all of you mom-like figures among us. Uh, we are so incredibly grateful for you, uh, for the way in which God has used you to pour into our lives, and we pray that you have a great day today. Uh, you certainly deserve it. Well, shifting gears a little bit, of all the dilemmas that we face while praying, um, certainly one of the most difficult among them, maybe the most difficult among them, is the dilemma of unanswered prayer. A mom prays for safe travels for her son as he heads back to college after being at home for Christmas break, and then on the way back to college, the son is hit by a drunk driver. A family prays for years and years for a depressed loved one to finally find hope and peace, and then that loved one ends up committing suicide. A man is diagnosed with a rare form of cancer, and so the whole church rallies around the man to pray for healing. The healing doesn't happen, and the man ends up passing away from cancer. A woman loses her job. She has no source of income, so she goes on a whole bunch of interviews, dozens and dozens of interviews. She prays desperately for a new job. Six months go by, eight months go by, a year goes by, and she is yet to find a new job. A couple is on the edge of divorce. They're fighting all the time in their marriage. The one spouse prays for reconciliation. God, please heal my broken marriage. Please restore my broken marriage. The reconciliation doesn't occur, and the couple ends up divorcing. Uh, I don't claim to know everybody's story, but my hunch is that most of us, if not all of us who are here today, all of us who are watching online, uh, we can resonate with what I'm describing here because either we've been in these situations or we've been in situations similar to these where we had a prayer that went unanswered. Uh, We prayed desperately, fervently, passionately for something to happen, but then the thing that we prayed for didn't take place. So how do we make sense of that? Especially in view of our understanding of God as a loving God, a kind God, a generous God, a compassionate God who wants to fill our lives with good things. If God does indeed possess these characteristics, if God does indeed want to fill our lives with good things, then wouldn't God want to answer all of our prayers? And if so, why doesn't God? Why does God seem to answer some prayers, but not others? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, For those of you who are just joining us, maybe for the first time, over the past few weeks, um, our congregation has been walking through a message series called Deep to Deep. We saw the bumper video a minute ago. Deep to Deep, diving into the mystery of prayer. Deep to Deep, diving into the mystery of prayer. And so in this five-week series, uh, we are diving deep into prayer. Uh, We're exploring the subject of prayer. We're trying to wrap our brains around this mysterious channel that God has given to us, that God has blessed us with. We're trying to wrestle with some of our most commonly asked questions about prayer. And certainly one of our most commonly asked questions has to do with unanswered prayer. How do we make sense of unanswered prayer? Unanswered prayer is painful, it's difficult, it's hard, but not only that, it's also confusing. It's baffling when we consider some of the sweeping and lofty promises that Jesus himself made about prayer. Uh, Maybe you've read these in the gospels. 
that in the Gospels, Jesus himself seemed to indicate that unanswered prayer would never exist. It would never be a reality. For example, take a listen with me to what Jesus says here in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, this is from Matthew 21, uh, verses 21 and 22. Then Jesus told them, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and don't doubt, you could even say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. You could pray for anything, and if you have faith, you'll receive it. You could pray for anything, Jesus says, and if you have faith, you'll receive it. Uh, he also says something similar earlier in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, this is from Matthew 18, verse 19. Take a listen. I also tell you this. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. And if those two examples aren't enough, check out what Jesus says here in the Gospel of Mark. This is Mark chapter 11, uh, verse 24. I tell you, you could pray for anything, and if you believe that you received it, it'll be yours. Uh, just one more example. Uh, we've looked at Matthew. We've looked at Mark. This is from the Gospel of John. Uh, this is from John 15. And just to give some context, Jesus speaks these words as he's in the upper room. He's just shared the Last Supper. He's about to go to the garden where he's gonna be betrayed. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, Jesus says, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. Folks, what's the one word that keeps showing up in all of these passages? Anything. anything. Not if you ask God for some things, not if you ask God for most things or the majority of things, if you ask God for anything in prayer, it will be given to you. It'll be granted. So how do we make sense of these promises from Jesus in light of the fact that we don't always receive what we ask for in prayer? You don't need to be convinced of this. You already know this to be true, that just because you pray about something doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna receive it. So how do we understand all this? Well, in general, there are three responses. There's probably more than three, but there's at least three responses that Christians have given over the years to make sense of these words from Jesus. One response, and I don't personally agree with this response, I don't find it to be helpful, but one response that people have given is that we must be doing something wrong. We must be doing something wrong. We have unconfessed sin in our lives, we're praying with the wrong motives, or we simply don't have enough faith. When I was in college, I had a friend whose mom was diagnosed with cancer. And the family, of course, prayed for this woman to be healed. She was in her early 40s. Um, she wasn't healed, and she ended up dying of cancer. Well, after she passed away, the family's pastor, who thanks be to God, is no longer their pastor. This gentleman said to the family, if only you had had more faith, this woman would have died. Let me say something. A statement like that is spiritual malpractice. Just like doctors and medical professionals commit malpractice, pastors and church leaders commit malpractice with a statement like that. What are we saying about God with a statement like that? That God sits up in heaven and God holds back healing power because of our lack of faith, that basically turns God into a monster. And actually, if we think about it, that statement contradicts the witness of scripture because in scripture, we find God doing the opposite. We actually find God healing people, bringing healing to folks despite their lack of faith. One prominent example is uh, found in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, maybe you're familiar with the story. In Mark chapter nine, we got a picture of this up on the screen. Uh, there's this father, he has a son, uh, and his son is possessed by a demon. And the father explains to Jesus how this demon has been wreaking havoc on the boy's body. The demon has taken the boy into the fire and into the water, causing this kid to become rigid. And so the father says to Jesus, Jesus, please heal my boy. I am desperate, please heal my boy. Your disciples couldn't do it. Could you please do it? And then the father says this, if you are able. Do you remember what Jesus says? 
if you are able, anything is possible for the one who believes. And this is what the Father says. I believe. Help my what? My unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. In other words, this father had unbelief. His faith wasn't perfect. His faith wasn't fully intact. He had doubts. He had struggles. He had apprehensions. He had struggles. Jesus still healed his boy. You see, folks, God doesn't answer our prayers because we are holy. God answers our prayers because God is holy. God doesn't answer our prayers because of what we bring or fail to bring. God answers our prayers because of who God is. God alone is perfect. God alone is good. And so to me, this first response to make sense of these words from Jesus, uh, it doesn't really hold any weight. Another response that people have given to make sense of these words of Jesus about prayer in light of the fact that we don't always receive what we ask for is to say that these promises were meant exclusively for the disciples. In these passages that we just read, Jesus seems to have just been speaking to the disciples. Therefore, he didn't mean them for Christians everywhere. He only meant them for the disciples 2,000 years ago. All right, fair enough. But the problem with this response is why did the disciples go on to encounter as many challenges as they did? Uh, if you're familiar with their stories, you'll know that following Jesus wasn't exactly a walk in the park for the disciples. Uh, tradition tells us that 10 of the disciples uh, were martyred. Uh, remember Peter, he was crucified upside down. James was killed with a sword. We're told this in the book of Acts. Um, certainly a prayer to be spared for martyrdom must have crossed their mind at some point. And so to me, this response isn't adequate either. And so a third response that Christians have given, and this is the one that I personally land on, is to say that Jesus wasn't speaking literally here. Instead, Jesus was speaking in hyperbole. How many of you have ever heard of hyperbole before? Okay, most of you have. So hyperbole was a common rhetorical tool among rabbis uh, in the ancient world. Hyperbole happens when we exaggerate, uh, we overstate our point in order to get our point across. And actually, hyperbole wasn't exclusive to rabbis that we use hyperbole even out today. How many of you have ever used this phrase or this expression? I am so hungry, finish it for me. I could eat a, I could eat a horse. You've said this before, Steve? Yeah. Now, let me ask you a question. Could anybody actually eat a horse? Could anybody consume a creature like, would you want to consume a creature like this? I would imagine that horse meat is probably pretty disgusting. But what are we saying when we use this expression, I'm so hungry, I could eat a horse? Well, what we're saying is I'm hungry. It's been maybe a few hours since I've had a meal. Maybe it's been a whole day since I've had a meal. I'm famished. Uh, I just got to have something to eat. Otherwise, I'm going to lose it. So we're overstating our point. Or uh, what about when a middle school girl, this is going to be fun. What about when a middle school girl says to her father, Daddy, if that boy talks to me, I'm going to die. Does the father need to have the paramedics on standby? Does he need to call 911 just in case his daughter passes away? No, what the girl means is, Dad, if that boy talks to me, I'm going to be embarrassed, mortified. I really hope he doesn't speak to me. Uh, just one more example. We're talking about Mother's Day. Well, when I was a kid, my mom, to encourage me, um, she would say to me, Christopher, she would always call me Christopher, never Chris. Christopher, you can do anything. Is that true? Oh, really? Yeah, thank you, Steve, for that vote of confidence. I appreciate that. Really feeling the love this morning. I mean, can I do anything? There are some things I will never be able to do no matter how hard I try. I'll never play basketball like Michael Jordan did. Uh, I don't have that kind of coordination, that kind of athletic ability. I'll never play football like Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. I'll never be able to sing like Michael Buble. There are some things I will never be able to do. And I'm okay with that. 
So was my mom lying when she said to me, you could do anything? No, what my mom went was, follow your dreams, work hard, put the effort in, don't settle for less. In that sense, you can do anything. And so my point is uh, that we use hyperbole today. Jesus used hyperbole 2,000 years ago. Actually, Jesus did this several times in the Gospels. Do you remember when Jesus said, if you don't hate your father and your mother and your brother and your sister, you cannot be my disciple? Now, that doesn't make any sense because Jesus also said that the greatest commandment is what? Love God and love who? Your neighbor. What's all this about hate? Was Jesus actually telling us to literally hate people? No, what Jesus meant was, put me first in your life. Put me before anything else. Even if your family decides to reject you because you're a follower of mine, you got to be okay with that. That's what Jesus meant when he said those words. Or what about when Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, chop it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Was Jesus actually telling us to get rid of body parts? If you take those words literally, why don't you hold up your right stump right now? <laughs> None of us take those words literally. Thanks be to God. He was speaking in hyperbole. Uh, and so Jesus used hyperbole a long time ago. And I think that Jesus was using hyperbole when he made these comments about prayer. Jesus was saying to us, be diligent in your prayers. Be bold in your prayers. Be faithful in your prayers. Believe that God can achieve the impossible because God can achieve the impossible. Nothing is beyond God. Another reason I don't think Jesus meant for us to take these words too literally is, folks, let's imagine a world like this. Let's imagine a world where God answers everyone's prayers exactly as they pray them. Would you actually want to live in that kind of world? Would you want to live in a world, for example, where this young man prays for a woman to fall in love with him, but she doesn't want to fall in love with him. She's not attracted to him, doesn't want to be with him. So God, to honor that person's prayer, removes the free will from that young woman, thereby forcing her to act like a robot uh, to fall in love with that man. Would you want to live in that kind of world? Would you want to live in a world where sports outcomes are determined by prayer? <laughs> Maybe some of you would. Uh, instead of by the talent of athletes? Or would you want to live in a world where good grades are determined by prayer instead of by studying and by working hard? Or would you actually want to live in a world where God gives you everything that you want exactly as you want it? I thank God that we live in a world that God doesn't give us everything that we want because if I'm honest, I can think of so many times in my life where I prayed desperately for something and now in hindsight, I am so glad that God didn't give me that thing I was praying about. Can anybody else relate? There was actually a theologian who wrote a country song about this called Garth Brooks, or the theologian Garth Brooks. That's a joke, <laughs> by the way. Uh, but Garth Brooks did write this country song about this. It's called Unanswered Prayers. Uh, this song came out back in 1990. Take a listen to the lyrics. I've got them up here on the screen. Uh, again, I'm not a singer. I can't really do anything, so I'm not going to sing the lyrics. Instead, I'm just going to read them to you. Garth Brooks says, Just the other night at a hometown football game, my wife and I ran into my old high school flame. And as I introduced them, the past came back to me, and I couldn't help but think of the way things used to be. She was the one I wanted for all times. And each night I'd spend praying that God would make her mine. And if he'd only grant me this wish I wished back then, I'd never ask for anything again. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs that just because he doesn't answer, doesn't mean that he don't care because some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Uh, that part about the man upstairs aside, uh, I've never cared for that image of God. I don't find that to be helpful. 
But that part aside, this song actually has some pretty good theology that some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And actually, why we're imagining a world where God answers everyone's prayers exactly as they pray them, imagine if God had answered the prayer that Jesus prayed while he was in the garden. Do you remember what happened after he left the upper room when he made that statement about prayer that Jesus went to the garden, he spent some time there before Judas betrayed him, and then he got down on the ground, he was on his knees, and he cried out to God the Father. He said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Jesus was asking to be spared from the cross. What if God had answered that prayer? What if God had spared Jesus from the cross? What if Jesus wasn't crucified? What would have become of our world? What would become of human beings? But Jesus understood, as it says up here, Jesus understood the deeper purpose of prayer, which is entrusting ourselves to God, no matter the outcome. Entrusting ourselves to God, no matter the outcome. And so that's what we do when we pray. We follow in Jesus's footsteps by the grace of God. We name our honest request to God. We tell God exactly what we want. We tell God exactly what we desire. But then we also humbly recognize that even if things don't turn out as we want them to, that we are still in God's love. We are still in God's care. We are still in God's provision. Unanswered prayer will always to some degree involve mystery. There's no doubt about that. But I do think it's helpful while we're exploring this topic um, for us to keep in mind some general principles about prayer. And so as we continue on in this message, I just wanna lift up three general principles about prayer. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you uh, to write these things down, or you can email me later on, and I'll send these principles to you. The first general principle, you can see it up here. Number one, God's typical response to prayer is through people. God's typical response to prayer is through people. Actually, on the first page of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, we're told that God has given human beings dominion over the planet. And what that basically means is that when God wants to get something done, when God wants to get something accomplished, he typically does it through us. So when you and I pray for healing, is God going to miraculously heal us? Sometimes God does that. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But usually what God does is God gives us doctors and surgeons and nurses who have the medicine and the vaccines and the treatments and the surgeries that can heal us. Or when somebody is lonely, maybe their spouse just passed away, and so they're praying for comfort. Is God going to step down from heaven and wrap his arms around that person? What's God going to do? God's going to lay it on somebody's heart to go and comfort that person, to give that person the warm embrace that they need. Do you remember in the story of Exodus when the people of God were in slavery in Egypt and they cried out to God for deliverance, that God actually stepped down from heaven and delivered them? What did God do? Who did God send? God sent Moses on his behalf to go deliver the people of God from slavery. This is what God does. God's typical response to prayer is through people, people like you and people like me. And so that leads us then to a second principle for us to keep in mind, that God expects us when we're praying to take advantage of every channel that's before us. God expects us when we're praying to take advantage of every channel that's before us. So when you and I are sick and we're praying for healing, God expects us to go to the doctor, to take the medicine that the doctor's prescribing us. Or if our spouse and us, you know, we're fighting in our marriage, we're not getting along, God expects us to go to counseling to get the help that we need. Or if we want better finances and we're praying about better finances, God expects us to seek out professional help, maybe talk to a financial counselor. If we're praying for safe travels on the road, God expects us to wear a seatbelt 
to follow traffic laws, to be obedient to these things. God expects us when we're praying to take advantage of the channels that he has put before us. Maybe you've heard the story about the uh, farmer. Uh, there was a flood that came to his community. And so the farmer got onto his rooftop as the floodwaters were rising and he got down on his knees and he prayed to God. He said, God, please heal me or please save me, please rescue me. And he felt that God had answered that prayer in the depth of who he was, that he was gonna save him. So what happened next was this guy came by in a rowboat and the guy from the rowboat said, hey, hop on and I'm gonna row you to safety. And the guy said, no, that's okay. God's gonna save me. Well, the floodwaters continued to rise. And then this guy came by in a helicopter and he lowered the rope and he talked on a megaphone and he said, hey, grab the rope and I'm gonna pull you to safety. And the farmer said, no, that's okay. God's gonna save me. And then eventually what happened was the floodwaters consumed the entire barn. He was swept away, he was drowned. Uh, he wound up in heaven and he said to God, hey, I thought you were gonna save me. I thought you were gonna rescue me. And God said, I sent you a man in a rowboat and a guy in a helicopter. What more could you have possibly wanted? So often when we're praying, we're expecting God to do something big, dramatic, over the top, but God's already given us everything that we need. Take advantage of the channels that God has put before you. And then one more general principle. God does not violate free will in response to prayer. God does not violate free will. Free will is a corollary of love. Uh, you cannot have love if you don't have freedom. And the apostle John tells us in 1 John 4 that God is love. Therefore, God has given us freedom. God has built freedom into all human beings. And what that basically means for us is that if our prayer request involves violating somebody else's freedom, like for example, for a rebellious child to come back home, even though that child doesn't wanna come back home, or for our spouse to be reconciled to us, even though our spouse might not wanna be reconciled to us, and our spouse wants a divorce, or for somebody to fall in love with us, even though that person doesn't wanna fall in love with us, if our prayer request violates somebody else's free will, God's not gonna answer that request. As much as it may pain God, break God's heart, it hurts God to see us upset, God does not violate freedom in response to prayer. And so again, these are just some general principles that I would encourage us to hold on to as we think through this topic. And then in addition to these principles, there's one last thing, folks, I would encourage us to remember. God is not the author of suffering. God is not the author of suffering. I cannot overstate this point. Suffering is a sign that we live on a broken planet a plan that has been affected by sin. And suffering doesn't discriminate, does it? Nope. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what your background is, Jesus actually said in the Gospels that the rain falls on the just and the, what happens? Or what do he say? The unjust alike. The rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. That all of us experience suffering in some way at some point. That God is not the author of suffering. And for reasons that we don't always fully understand, God doesn't always deliver us from our suffering. But here's the truth. God does walk with us through our suffering and promises to redeem it and restore it, or I'm sorry, redeem it and transform it and use it for good. Joe, this is the second half of that slide. God does walk with us through our suffering and promises to redeem it and transform it and use it for good. Does God perform miracles? Yeah, God does from time to time. 
And actually, I've seen miracles happen in my life and my own ministry. And I certainly think it's appropriate for us to pray for a miracle. But here's what I want us to recognize. Even when the miracle doesn't happen and our prayer isn't answered as we want it to be answered, we don't have some God who is aloof. We don't have some God who is detached. We don't have some God who is far away up in heaven. Instead, we have a God who in Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, a God who is with us in the most intimate way possible. God swoops down, he picks us up. God journeys with us through what David calls the valley of the shadow of death. And God commits to taking what's happened, no matter how bad, no matter how awful, no matter how horrific it might've been, God commits to taking what's happened and forcing good out of it. God does this all the time. I have a friend I went to seminary with. He's actually one of my best friends. Uh, his name is Jesse. Jesse's married to Katie, and Katie is a United Methodist pastor, serves a church right now in the Jacksonville area. And a few years back, Jesse and Katie went through this really devastating season that involved an unanswered prayer. But even as that prayer went unanswered, and they were hurting and they were struggling, they saw the redemptive hand of God at work in their lives. And so with their permission, I wanna share their story with us. And it's interesting, when I planned out the sermon series, it didn't occur to me that I would be preaching this sermon on Mother's Day. But the more I think about it, the more I realize that this story is actually very appropriate for Mother's Day because it represents the wide range of emotions that we tend to experience on this day, as Pastor Mike mentioned at the beginning of service. This is Katie writing. She says, after two years of infertility, we were finally pregnant. We were so excited. For some reason, I had it in my mind that you either struggle with getting pregnant or pregnancy loss. Surely someone who had struggled so long to get pregnant would not lose a baby. We thought that everything was going well. We found out early through genetic testing that we were having a girl. And I was elated since I had always wanted a girl. We named her Leah Renee, a name that I had picked out since I was a teenager. And then in May of 2018, at 18 weeks pregnant, almost halfway through my pregnancy, the last thing I ever expected to happen, happened. My water broke. We immediately went to the emergency room and learned that pretty much all of my amniotic fluid uh, was gone. Baby girl still had a great heartbeat. We learned that sometimes the amniotic fluid could reseal. We went home and prayed for a miracle. I drank so much water trying to restore my amniotic fluid and lay in bed hoping that we could keep baby in. If we could just make it six more weeks and make it to week 24, what's known as viability, baby could possibly live. My husband even moved the TV into our bedroom, preparing that I may be on bed rest for a while. My doctor called and spoke to me on the phone. My doctor told me that he had seen maybe one or two babies survive in his long career. He gave baby a 1% chance of survival and said most likely I would go into labor within 24 hours. My husband and I, laid in bed pretty much all night crying, praying for a miracle. So many people reached out to us through Facebook and texts and phone calls that they were praying for us. We truly felt everyone's prayers carried us through that time. I fully believe, Katie says, I fully believe that we serve a God who can heal and perform miracles. And yet sadly, that miracle didn't happen for us. About 24 hours later, I started having contractions and we went into the hospital 
and delivered our little girl. We got to hold her. My district superintendent baptized her. We took pictures of her and got her footprints. Although I was a blubbery mess crying the whole time, in that moment of her baptism, I felt God's peace and presence with us in the middle of it in such a real and tangible way. I never struggled with feeling like God caused this to happen. I know things like this just happened. It wasn't God's fault, but I did struggle with wondering why God didn't step in, why God didn't perform a miracle that I knew he was fully capable of. In the months that followed, I experienced some anger with God, but mostly such profound sadness. I don't think I ever cried so much in my life. It was a rough few months, and for the most part, we are better, but not gonna lie, there are still those moments where I think about what happened and wish that she could have made it. Moments where I still find myself getting a little teary-eyed. Thankfully, five months later, we got pregnant with our daughter, Ellie. Ellie was born in June of 2019. She was actually born on my birthday and was the best birthday present ever. She is now almost two years old, and we also recently welcomed another child into this world. In my time since losing my daughter, Leah, I've been a part of different Facebook support groups. After losing Leah, I remember desperately wanting to hear stories of successful pregnancies of people after their losses. It gave me so much hope to hear of people going on to have a successful pregnancy. I love that now I could be a person to give others that same hope as well. I can tell them about how we have two babies of our own. While we still wish our Leah was here and made it, we feel that God has brought us so much redemption into our lives there are little ones who are here. We still don't really have an answer for why God didn't step in and save Leah. And I know that we never will. But I do know that God certainly stepped in and saved me and my husband from our grief during that time. God was with us. God never left us. God never abandoned us. And that's the truth that we cling to even when the miracle doesn't happen for us and our prayer isn't answered as we want it to be answered, that God is still with us. God is holding us. God is carrying us. God is wiping away our tears. And God is working for our good. God is working for our good. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Please join me in prayer. God, I thank you that in this space we could be honest and we could be truthful. Life isn't always happy moments, moments of joy. We do suffer, we do struggle, we do hurt. But God, we recognize that you are not far away. You are not aloof or distant. You are with us in the most intimate way possible. So please, God, continue to hold us close to you and remind us that even our prayers aren't answered as we want them to be answered, that you are still working for our good and that we are always in your love. We pray all these things in your son's name.